Bibles, Romans chapter 8. It is good to, uh, to be up here. I, I have to be honest with you, about two months ago when Pastor Nimmers asked me to fill pulpit, I was excited. And he told me that he wanted me to kind of continue the study in Romans 8. I was like, great, awesome, I love Romans 8. And I said, what, uh, what passage, you know, what passage am I going to be on when this day comes? He says, well, it's going to be Romans 8, verses uh, 31 to 39. I'm like, 30, why is that, why is that so familiar to me? 31, and I kind of laughed myself once it dawned on me that, you know, I have preached that passage three different, as of today, I will have preached this passage three different times from this pulpit. (laughs) I don't know what it is about this passage, but apparently God wants me to spend some more time in it. And uh, I think that's true, because here's the cool thing. This will be the third time I've preached this passage, and each time will have been completely different. And each time God, as I've studied this passage freshly, each time God has just grabbed me with something new and something different each time. And I, I have to be honest with you, God really shook me up through this passage uh, when I was studying through it. And I, I actually completed my study through this about a month ago. And I'm honestly, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to share with you some things here out of Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 31 to 39. It's an awesome passage. But here, I just want to start here, and I just want to kind of uh, front load this message a little bit, okay? I like to do that sometimes. I want to front load it. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going, to, I'm going to express to you the, uh, the main point of this message. I'm going to give it to you up front, and just, you can just lock onto this. And this is really the only thing you have to remember the whole morning, right here. In fact, I'm going to say three words right now, and they will be the most important three words that I will say the entire morning. So here's the idea. I will say these three words. All you have to do is remember these three words. You can forget the rest of my sermon. In fact, you can go right into Facebook and start you know, looking around, looking at sports. You can start bemoaning the fact that I was lost last night. You can check all the sports. You can do whatever you need to do because all you need to do is remember these three words. These three words will be the most important three words I will say all morning. They'll be the most important three words you'll hear all of today. In fact, they may be the most important three words you'll hear this entire week, maybe your entire life. These three words are it. Have I built any anticipation? Here it comes. These three words, they they need to just rest deep in you and just get in your heart and sit there for a while. Okay, here it is. Here's the three words. Not going to hear anything more important the rest of the day. Three words. Just relax. Take a deep breath. Here they come. I'm just going to let them fly out. Are you ready? Here they come. Get ready. Here it is. Okay, here it is. Ready? Here it is. Three words. God loves you. That's it. Those are the three. That's it. Those are the three words. That you, that's it. God loves you. There are no more important words that you'll ever hear in your entire life. Because those three words, I mean, they become so common to us because I think we say them a lot and we say them to each other. And, 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 and I think... Um, they, they become kind of stale in our ears and stale in our mouth. But those three words are the most important three words that you will ever hear. Those three words change everything. Do you realize that? Those three words change, they're game changers. They change everything. Those three words give us hope in death. Those three words give us purpose in life, Right? Those three words give us a rock to stand on that that we can be anchored to that allow us to weather the storms of life. Those three words change everything, and I'm not going to say anything more important this morning than those three words. So lock onto those three words and let those three words just rest deep in your heart this morning. 
And really, all I want to do this for our remainder of the time, because, you know, I, I could be done right now, but I don't think they're ready back in the coffee cove. Um, so I feel like I need to do something here. Uh, all I want to do the rest of this time is I want to kind of just run through and unpack Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, because Paul, in an incredible way, with just incredible words, he, he unpacks this idea. I don't know if he unpacks it. I, I think it's impossible to fully, I know it's impossible to fully unpack God's love for us. But Paul, in some very unique and interesting ways, unpacks and talks about God's love for us and the love that Christ has for us. And he, he lays out in great heavenly terminology, and then he brings it down in a very practical way right into our realm. So all I want to do this morning, nothing crazy, nothing, uh, it's not going to be fancy. I just want to go through Romans 8 and just kind of, and, and just kind of stew a little bit and think on this, this idea that God loves us. And let Paul kind of teach us, and let the, really the Spirit of God teach us on what it means that God loves us. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's just jump in to Romans 8 here. And I'm going to start in, uh, in verse 31. Romans 8, 31. Here we go. He starts out and says, what shall we say to these things? Okay, we got to stop. Okay, Paul says, he writes, what shall we say to these things? Paul here, he's drawn some conclusions. He's drawn upon the context. Okay, this context is bigger than just chapter 8. It goes all the way back to chapter 5. I know that because my commentary told me. A lot. I don't want you to think I'm smart and some like big you know, Bible uh, brilliant man. I have really good commentaries I read, and they're really smart, and I listen to them. But they lay out that this context is bigger than just chapter 8. It goes all the way back to chapter 5. In fact, the beginning of chapter 5 and the end of chapter 8, they mirror each other, and it creates this, this section that Paul has been teaching through and writing and talking about. And Paul is drawing upon this section. He's drawing some, uh, some conclusions. He's looking back and everything he's written, some of the great things he's written. He says, now what should we say to these things? What, what jumps out to this? What jumps out of all, this thing, all these things I've been talking about? I mean, he's been talking about um, how, how, how through Christ we have, we have peace with God. He talks about that. He, he talks about how, how uh, God's great love for us, and he showed us that love by while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He talks how, how we're no longer, because of this, this, our faith in Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin. He's rescued us from the slavery of our, our slave master's sin and has brought us, and brought us in, in connection to being a, a slave to righteousness, which is actually a wonderful thing. He, he talks how there's no more condemnation for those who believe in Christ. These are some pretty big things he's been talking about since chapter 5. He even talks about how, in, in chapter 8 here, more, uh, right here in the, in the same chapter, he talks about how there's going to be a day when our bodies are adopted, when there's this, this reality that we're going to be redeemed, that our bodies are going to be changed, and we're going to, that all this struggle with sin and defeat and struggle in life is going to go away, and we're going to be, have glorified bodies. And he talks about some just incredible, amazing things that God's done for us through Christ. And he sits there and says, okay, now all the stuff I've been talking about, what should we say to these things? What's the conclusion here? He says, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, that's a, that's a rhetorical question. There's not a question, if God is for us. The previous three chapters have made it very clear, God is for us. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That idea that God is for us is an amazing idea. And we have to think about it just for a moment. Because what Paul is declaring, based on everything he's written so far, he says, look, God is for us. He's not against us. God's for us. 
He's on our side. God's on our team. He's for us. He's rooting for us. He's hoping the best for us. He's not just hoping the best for us. He's bringing about the best for us. God is on our team. He's for us. And that's an amazing thought. If you think about the fact that, that the God who spoke everything that we, can, that we can know, that we can touch, that we can see, that we can, that we can look through a telescope and, and ponder on, all those things, God spoke those into existence. God is the creator. And this is the God who's on our side. That's an amazing thought right there, okay? But Paul goes on. He says, now, if, if God's on our side, and that's a rhetorical question, we know he's on our side. He's made it very clear in the previous three chapters. If God is on our side, who can, who can possibly oppose us? Now, it's a rhetorical question. Paul isn't saying that no one will oppose us because we have people that oppose us. We know Satan opposes us. We know at times the world opposes us. Sometimes... Those who are closest to us oppose us. Paul isn't saying that no one can oppose us. He's just saying it doesn't matter if if the whole world opposes us because God's on our side. If God's on our side, we're the majority. We win. So Paul's not saying no one can oppose us. We have people that oppose us. Paul is just saying it just doesn't matter because God is on our side. Who can possibly oppose us? It doesn't matter who opposes us because God's on our side. Now, Paul drives this, this, this truth home that God is on our side. He drives this truth home by laying out the quintessential proof that God is on our side. And he does it, I think, in just an amazing way. Verse 32, he says, verse 31, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, laying it out, showing us how much he's on our side. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, that first part of the verse, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the quintessential proof that God's on our side. He gave up his son for us. Now, we need to kind of unpack that for a little bit. Because to me, that's a pretty powerful thought. And sometimes I think we just kind of, we kind of glide over that a little bit. Have you ever wondered why God reveals himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but specifically Father and Son, that, that, that he refers to himself as Father and he refers to the second person of the Trinity as Son. Now, that, that relationship has always existed. That Father-Son relationship has always resisted, existed there. But have you ever wondered why God does that? Because God, he's not man or male or female. He's spirit. And he doesn't have a wife that he should have a son. So why does he tell us and, and refer to himself as father and son. Himself as father and the second person of the Trinity as son. Why does he do that? Well, I think one reason is because that's something that we, can, we understand and relate to. In fact, I, I think it's possible, um, it's possible to say that the relationships that we know as father and son and that we experience here on planet Earth between a father and a son, a son and a father, or even just parents and children, that relationship is an imperfect imitation of the relationship that God the Father has with God the Son. This is a way that that we're able to understand at least a little bit this relationship between Father and Son. And it says here that God the Father didn't spare His Son, but gave Him up for us. So I think we we got to unpack that a little bit. Who on earth, and I'm talking to you parents, who on earth 
would you give up one of your children for? Now think about that. For, I mean, that's a terrible thought, but just think about it for a second. I mean, I was sitting in a cafe, and I was kind of studying through these things, and I started thinking, now, who, who would I give up one of my kids for, or all my kids for? Who on earth do I love that much? I would give them up for them. I thought, I thought to myself, well, maybe my wife. I think I'm supposed to love her more than my kids. I do love her more than my kids. At least, at least the love is a different kind of love. You know, so I'm thinking, well, maybe I think that's the right Sunday school answer on some level. And I'm kind of working through that. And, and um, so, so I, I created this scenario in my mind. Okay, I created this scenario to, 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 uh, to kind of uh, figure out how this would work. Now, this is kind of a morbid thought, but just, just kind of hang with me for a minute because I think it's going to help us get somewhere. Um, I'm thinking to myself, I'm, sitting, I'm, I'm drinking coffee, I'm sitting in this cafe, I'm studying through this, and I'm thinking this idea about this idea of this love relationship between the parents and children and whatnot, and I thought to myself, okay, so if I'm driving down the road, and my wife's next to me in, in the, uh, the seat, and we're all buckled in, and my wife, my, my wife, my kids are behind us in the back seat, and I'm going down the road, and I lose control, and I go off a bridge into a deep river, and the car sinks, the, 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 the concussion of hitting the water, we all black out, we go underwater, I'm the first to come to, and the... It's full of water, can't breathe. That's a terrible thought, I know, but just hang with me for a moment. So, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not having this, this whole conversation myself in my head at the cafe, at the cafe so I just realize that. So I, I unbuckle myself, and I break the window, and I get out, and there's no air. I'm, I'm scrambling to get to the top of the, uh, of the river or the, or the lake and take a big, just a big gulp of air. Now I know at this point, no one in the car is conscious, and, and, and no one's breathing. They're all underwater. So I'm thinking to myself, I only have really, realistically, an opportunity just to save a couple people. I can either save my, my children or I can save my wife. Is my wife in here, by the way? I sure hope she's not. Good, I think she's out there. So, <laughs> so I can only save either my children or my wife. Who am I going to save? So I'm thinking to myself, I think I'd save my kids. Not because I love my kids more than my wife, but because I know that if the roles were reversed and my wife was one who got out and she had to make the decision, I'd want her to choose my kids. You know, and I think as parents, you kind of shake your head. That's exactly what I'd want. Because as parents, intrinsically inside of us, we have this, this natural love for our kids. It's even, it's even hard to describe that we are willing and ready at any moment to lay our life down, to save our children, to prolong the lives of our kids. We are we are willing and ready to sacrifice ourselves because we love our kids that much. That's a natural, intrinsic love. That's how much we love our children. Now, let's back up a little bit and look at this passage. Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. In essence, what Paul is saying here is that incredible love that we have for our kids that we can't even get our minds around. It's so intense and so raw and so passionate. That love that we have for our kids, God the Father loves us more than that. That is a love. Let's be honest. That is an intense kind of love that we don't even know experientially. It's so far beyond our realm of experience that his love is so greater, it's ineffable. We can't even define it, describe it. It's just so intense That's the love that God has for us. That's incredible. So when we say God loves you, it's not just a flippant little thing. The love that God has for us, as defined here by Paul in this this passage, it's a love that's more intense 
than the love, than the greatest love that we're really able to even comprehend here on earth. That is how much God loves us. He didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's an incredible kind of love. So let's keep, let's keep unpacking this passage. He says, so he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's how much he's for us. That's how much he's on our side. That's how much he loves us. He says, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? Now Paul's saying here, look, God already gave us the most costly of gifts. He gave us his son. So why on earth would we question if he would give to us lesser things? It would be ludicrous to think that. Now, obviously, Paul is talking about spiritual and heavenly things, but I don't think it's limited to that. Here's the reality. God wants to give us gifts and good gifts. I I really believe that. In the same way that I love to give gifts to my children, after I had kids, Christmas totally changed for me. You know? I stopped caring what I got, for the most part. I mean, it was occasionally, you know. But for the most part, I stopped caring about what I got on Christmas. And it was all about giving. Because, parents, you know, it is awesome to give your kids a gift and see their eyes light up. I mean, isn't that just awesome? You get so excited. You get more joy out of giving the gift than you do receiving. Is that true? Absolutely. I, I don't think God's any different. I think that's why he calls himself Father. Again, we, we connect with that. Paul is saying here, look, he wants to graciously give us all things. God is good. He wants us to be happy. He wants to give good gifts. He wants us to have joy. He gets joy from that in the same way that a father does or a parent does when he gives gifts to his children. Now, obviously, obviously, sometimes the things that we think we need and want and we think will be blessings, God knows better, right? Same with my kids. You know, they want something. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. No way are you getting that. That is just going to ruin you. Yeah, I, I have no reason to believe God. I mean, God in his full knowledge, and he knows what things will be blessings and what when things won't be blessings. I'm pretty sure that if I asked God to make me a millionaire, I'm pretty sure he would say no. Because uh, I'm pretty sure if I had a million dollars, it would ruin me. But I just want to be real honest. Uh, if I had a million dollars, it would ruin me. I would be... This is the most worldly person on planet Earth. I'd spend it all myself, and it would just be bad. So I really think I can ask God for a million dollars, and I think he'll say no. Unless God has put that on your heart. And uh, No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, no, so obviously he's, we're not, he's not just giving us everything because we want it. That's, that's another topic for, for holding our sermon. Um, but the reality is, I think this is what's important about this, this idea, the fact that he's given us his son and, and he'll give us graciously all things. I think, I think the thing that jumps out to me from this, from this verse is the fact that God is good and he wants to give us good things. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have uh, uh, happiness. He really does. So, let's keep, let's keep just chugging through this passage. Let's, let's keep um, unfolding this thing. Unpacking this thing. Verse 33. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Now right now, Paul's been talking about God's love for us and how incredible it is and it's even beyond what we can even comprehend or understand. It's ineffable. It's, it's just incredible. It's full on. It's, just, it's, inc- it's, it's, it's good. It's gracious. It's amazing. 
And then he says, okay, so now he's kind of laid this thing out and talked about the intensity and the goodness of God's love. And now he wants to take God's love and he wants to place it into the heavenly, the heavenly realm. He wants, to, he wants to move into like a courtroom. And he wants to kind of talk about God's love and how it affects us on a heavenly realm. He says, look, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So, 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 so who can, he says, now who can bring a charge, an accusation against God's elect? Who can say this guy is not righteous? Because it's God who justifies. It's God who's already declared you righteous. So who, who is greater than God? Who can say something that can counter God? It's a rhetorical question. No one. But then he goes on. He kind of keeps, keeps pouring it on here. He says, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's saying, who can accuse, who can condemn, who who is out there that can bring an accusation against God's elect, those who have placed their trust in Christ? Who can do it? I think a lot of people can. Let's let's think about that for a moment. I think a lot of people can. I think if God called up our our spouses and our kids and our employees and our bosses and our neighbors, brought up into the heavenly courtroom, brought those people up, I think they could accuse us of wrongdoing. Am Am I wrong there? We're a bunch of sinners, right? Saved by grace. But we're sinners. We still struggle, right? We know that Satan is the accuser. But what Paul is saying, he's not saying that there aren't people that 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 can't there aren't people that can. that can't are unable to bring accusations against us. What Paul is saying is, they just won't stick. So if you think about it, kind of place yourself in the courtroom. Like, okay, here I am, and I'm I'm, I'm on trial, so to speak. Now, this is just for illustration purposes. And, and here's God, the judge, and here's Jesus, who's like the lawyer, the the uh, um, intercessor, and, and enters Jesus, or, uh, Jesus, excuse me, and enters Satan. He says, okay, Judge, Father. This guy right here, Lucas, I just want to bring some things into evidence here. This man, he's a liar. Throughout his life, he has lied. And he shows the evidence. And God the Father's like, that's pretty good evidence. I don't know. He looks pretty guilty to me. And, 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 and Jesus, the intercessor, he says, uh, excuse me, judge, I'd like to bring some things into, into uh, evidence here. I'd like to show my wounds on my hands and my side and my feet. These, these wounds, they bled for that sin. I paid for that sin. He's, he's forgiven. He's innocent. And God, the judge, like, uh, you're right. Yep. And so Satan says, okay, well, how about this one? This man, Lucas, he wasn't loving. He was selfish all through his life. And he shows all the evidence. God, the Father's like, that's good evidence. That's true. He's got, he's got a lot against him there. And Jesus says, excuse me, Father, I'd like to show uh, my scars again. These scars, they bled to pay for that sin. I paid for that sin. He's innocent. See, it's not that people can't accuse us of sin. Here's what's so cool. They don't stick. Because we have a father who has already justified us, and we have, we have the son, our savior, who is constantly interceding and pleading our innocence and pleading our case before the father. That's powerful. That's awesome. I never, I never dawned on me how powerful this passage is about the security of the believer. We have a father who's already declared us just and righteous. We have the son who's always, constantly, forever pleading our case before the father. No accusation will stick. God the father will not even entertain an accusation. He's justified us and the son intercedes for us. That's God's love in the heavenly realm. That's powerful. 
That's awesome. God, God's on my side. He loves me that much. And I'm just, he's forgiven me. He's declared me righteous. The son, he intercedes for me. I'm, I'm his. I'm forever his. But Paul doesn't want to leave it in the heavenly realm. And that's good. But Paul doesn't want to leave it in the heavenly realm. Paul wants to take this incredible love that God has for us. He wants to bring it down and, pl- and place it right where we are. Right in our day to day. And he starts to do that here in verse 35. He says, again, this is a rhetorical question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So Paul starts to reason here. He's, he's thinking, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Will Christ's love for us ever end? Will it ever waver? Will it ever falter? So because he loves us, he's up there interceding for us. Will that ever end? Will it ever come to a place that it's going to stop? And he lays out all these things, these terrible things that can happen in life. I think the idea is is this. He's saying, is there anything that can happen to me that would signify that Christ no longer loves me? Because let's be honest, there's times in our lives when things get really rough. We're like, God, where are you? Man, God, do you even love me? And so Paul, he's bringing it right down into our realm, the, the reality He's saying, look, is there anything that can happen in our life, any struggle, any suffering, anything that would signify to us that Christ no longer loves us? So he lists a tribulation, which is just the the idea of outward suffering. He talks about distress, which is inward suffering. He talks about persecution, which is suffering because of the gospel. He talks about famine, going hungry, not having enough food to feed yourself and your family. He talks about nakedness, the idea of not having enough clothing, being cold, being being exposed. He talks about danger, living in a, a dangerous situation where there's peril all around you. Would that signify that Christ no longer loves you? Or even death. He talks about the sword. Even death. I'm dying. I'm dying. Does that mean Christ no longer loves me? And Paul is saying no. In fact, he, in verse 36, he pulls out of the Old Testament. I think it's Psalm 44. He pulls out of the Old Testament an example. He says, look. He says, as it's written, verse 36, For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He basically says, look, this idea of of suffering for the righteous and the people who love God and and, and have a life that's hard and and suffering, this this isn't a new thing. The people here in in Rome, the believers, they were suffering. He's saying, look, it's, it's always been this way. It will always be this way. The Bible warns us. That through many tribulations we're going to enter the kingdom of God. The the, the follower of Christ will suffer things. He says, look, this doesn't mean that Christ no longer loves you. This doesn't mean his love is faltering. You know, it's interesting. All the things that Paul listed here, this isn't theoretical to Paul. All the things that Paul listed here, he talks about in another passage where where he talks about his own testimony, his own story. Paul lived through all these things and more. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 25 through 28, I'll just read it real quick. Paul kind of lays out his testimony a little bit. If you listen, you'll hear all these things that he lists here in Romans. You'll hear them in this passage in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, and then some. It goes beyond it even. He says, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Get the point? Some dangerous situations. Verse 27, he says, In toil and hardship, 
Through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So this isn't theoretical to Paul. He's lived through all these things. And he says, no. This stuff doesn't signify that Christ no longer loves you. Christ's love is steadfast. It doesn't end. It's unshakable. It's full on all the time. It's unwavering. There is no circumstance in life, no difficulty, no amount of suffering that will ever mean that Christ no longer loves me, that he is no longer interceding for me, that I'm no longer forgiven. And what that means right here in the context is that no matter how, how rough it gets in life, I can cling to the reality to the guarantee that one day I will see Jesus and every tear will be wiped away and everything will be made right. What Paul is saying is, for for him who knows Christ as his Savior, that person, his story is guaranteed to have a happy ending. That's a powerful thought, a powerful truth. That's something we can cling to that gives us stability, a rock to stand on that allows us to weather the storms of life, right? But, sometimes, I just want to be real honest with you, sometimes, I need a little more than that. Oh, what? Did you just say that? Let's be honest. Sometimes we need a little more than that. You know, if, if you have a brother in Christ who's struggling, with, who's struggling and suffering and a great trial in their life, and it's, it's bad, it's tough, it's, it's, it's discouraging, it's rough, you know, to come alongside that guy and say, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. I, I, just, want, I just want to encourage you. Here it is, brother. I want you to know God loves you, and one day you're going to die, and this is going to all be okay. I don't know if that's really encouraging, you know? And so what's really cool about this passage is Paul doesn't leave it right there. He gives us a little bit more. He goes to the next verse, verse 37. This is well, basically where we'll kind of end up. Verse 37, he says this. He says, no. In all these things, all the things he listed, all the struggles, the tribulation, all the things he just went through, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All these struggles, these hurdles, these battles, we are victors. But it's more than that. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. A conqueror defeats his enemies. Someone who's more than a conqueror, you don't just overcome your enemies. Your enemies become your friends. Your enemies become your helpers. That's a powerful thought. And it fits right in with what Paul has been teaching since chapter 5 through chapter 8. I mean, you go right back to a few verses earlier, Romans 8, 28, where he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. He's saying, look, One idea of that is, is look, it doesn't matter how bad it gets, your sufferings will become your helpers. You are more than a conqueror. These bad things will become your good. You can flip back to, don't flip back, I'll just read it. I've written down here. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Remember 5 and 8, this, this whole section here. He says this. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice. Our our sufferings encourage us. Why? He goes on. He says, look, because I know this stuff is going to build character in me. It's going to give me hope. It's going to give me endurance. 
In essence, he's saying, it's going to conform me to the image of Christ. My sufferings are blessings to me because they they will become and are becoming my friends, my helpers. Because we're more than conquerors. Our struggles, our sufferings, our difficulties in life will become our friends. They'll become good for us. here's Here's the idea that kept sticking in my mind. Through Christ, the power of Christ who loves us, and because he loves us, these heartaches, these struggles, these, these sufferings, these bad things, he will make blessings to us. I believe that. Christ will make the bad things in our life blessings. Because we're more than conquerors. Because Christ loves us that much. He will make our bad things blessings. Man, that just leaped out of the page at me when I was studying this. I mean, just leaped out of the page. Now, I've shared this before, uh, and I'll share it again just, just briefly, that, you know, the past four years, my family and I have been down in Brazil. And that's been a rough four years for us. As it is, you know, I, I've learned it is like for every missionary. Uh, they all have a, a struggle the first four years. It's just part of moving to a, different co- a whole different country and learning a new language, all that kind of stuff. It was tough. And I can honestly say for the, in that period of time, it was the first time in my life I really started to suffer. Now, I really started to suffer. And, and all this anxiety and all this depression, and it, it, it just got really intense. In fact, I, just, I was just waiting for the next bad thing to happen, constantly. And I'd wake up in the morning, it's like, man, what's going to happen today? And I'd go to bed at night, and I'd be trying to wrestle with my thoughts and lay in bed, thinking about all the bad things that are probably going to happen or have already happened. And, and even when something good would happen, I'd be like, great, something good happened. Now it's, where is it? I was waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I just started questioning the goodness of God, and I was just, it just got dark. And so I started thinking to myself, man, God, if you've allowed this in my life, and this is not fun, I'm not enjoying this at all, if you've allowed this in my life, what's to say that you're not going to bring something bigger into my life? I mean, I, I'm suffering, and I, I, I can't find you in the midst of this, and this is hard, and if you've allowed me to suffer like this, what's to say that you're not going to take my wife from me, or to take, or to take my children, or... Or just one of them, or, or maybe my own life. I get some sickness and just die. And so I just, sorry, I just, I just went there. And all of a sudden, in the midst of all that, fear just started to creep into my life. Fear. I, I was fearful. I was so scared of what was going to come next. What suffering was going to happen. What, what thing I was going to have to go through. I'd wake up in the morning fearful. I'd go to bed at night fearful, scared of what was going to happen. In fear like that, it's paralyzing. If you've never lived in fear, you don't know, but I think some of you probably have or, or are right now. That fear is just paralyzing. I was, I was scared of life. I was scared of death. I was scared of failure. I was scared of everything. I was just was sure it was going to happen because of what was going on in my life. And I remember sitting here. Now, I, I kind of want to paint the picture for you. I, I'm sitting at, at, this, at Mars Cafe down by Drake. And I'm studying through this passage. It's packed. There's, tons, there's people all over the place. Every table's filled, right? And I'm sitting here. I'm studying this, this passage. I'm thinking about this idea. And then it dawns on me. You know, God, because he loves me, he's going to make bad things my blessing. Or he's going to make bad things blessings for me. So I don't have to fear them. I, you know, those things might happen. Those bad things might come, but... I don't have to fear them because God loves me. He's, he's going to make the bad things blessings. He's going to make my enemies my friends. He's going to 
I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. I'm sitting there in, this cap, in, in, in the, the Mars Cafe, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have anything to fear. I don't have to live in fear. And right then, in the, midst, in the middle of, the, of the, the cafe, I start bawling. Straight on, full on crying. I'm not, a, I'm not really a cryer. I'm a man. I'm not a crier. But I was in Mars Cafe. It's packed. I'm crying. And not like a, like a small whimper, you know, like you're at, you're at a, a movie and you're sitting next to your wife. And you, you know, so, you know, you're crying. You got like maybe one little tear there. And, you know, and, no, it's full on. I'm gasping for air. I'm covering my face. I'm like, <gasps> I'm just bawling. Tears streaming down my face. Not because I'm sad. Because in that moment, I'm like, I don't have to live in fear anymore. I had to get up and go to the bathroom. I'm trying to, I'm trying to wash it off my face. It's not working. My eyes are all bloodshot. And I go back to my chair. And I'm just so thankful. I'm more, I'm more than a conqueror because Christ loves me. I don't have to live in fear. Because he's going to make even the bad things blessings to me. That's not saying those things won't happen. You know, a, a great fear I have is to be a failure. It's a fear, fear of man or whatever it is. I'm scared to death I'm going to fail. I'm scared I'm going to be that missionary that just falls on his face. You know, he tries to plant a church and it just dies. I'm so fearful of that. And I'm thinking to myself, Lucas, don't fear that. It may happen. But don't worry. If it does happen, God will make that bad thing a blessing. You'll come out of that thing a better man because of it. So don't fear it. I said, or I, I'm fearful of, of getting some sickness and dying. It could happen. But don't fear it. Because even if I get that sickness, he will make, I believe this in faith, he'll make that bad thing a blessing. And because of it, he'll make me and those around me better for it. Or even my, my own death. And I start thinking, man, I don't want to die right now. And man, well, what's going to happen to my family? That I'm going to die someday. But I don't need to fear that. I mean, not just because I know that my, my future is secure, but because if that happens, that God will take that bad thing and make it a blessing for my wife and my children. Now, it's not saying it's going to take the pain away, but he will make that a bad enemy a friend. I don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Lucas, that sounds all pretty and whatnot, but you don't know what I'm going through. This is hard. You're right, I don't know what you're going through. But man, in faith, choose to believe that God loves you and that he can make this bad thing a blessing and just believe it. Scripture teaches it. We're more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. He's going to make our enemies our friends. He's going to make the bad things blessings. Then he just closes, I just want to shut down here right now, and he just closes down by kind of reiterating again that we, are uns, that we are unable to be separated from Christ's love. And he just kind of says, verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor, nor rulers nor things present nor things to come. He's, he's giving all these contrasts of the greater lesser thing, and it's just a neat way of saying nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's amazing. That's awesome. We're more than conquerors. God's on our side. He loves us. Let's just close this down and bring some things into conclusion here. God loves us 
beyond our wildest, wildest dreams. He loves us more than we are literally able to understand and comprehend. His love for us is ineffable. We know that because he gave us his son. He didn't spare his son for us. He didn't spare his son, but gave his son for us. He is also a good God who wants the best for us. He wants to give us all things graciously. His love for us is unwavering and unchanging. It's full on all the time. Life is turbulent and unpredictable, but God's love is not. No matter what happens or is happening, we can cling to the unshakable truth that God loves us. And his love makes us more than conquerors because he's on our side. We no longer need to fear life. He will make even our enemies our friends. He'll turn the bad things into blessings. That's powerful. This passage is amazing. You know, just as I shut down, I I do want to say one more thing here. I can say with confidence that God loves you. I believe it. God loves you. But, I was going to throw one of those in there. But, just because God loves you doesn't mean you're forgiven. Do you realize that? God loves you. But just because God loves you doesn't mean that you're forgiven. Each of us need to respond to his love. We need to, to believe in Christ. He sent his son, didn't spare his son for us, but gave, he didn't spare his son, but gave his son for us. We need to, to believe in that, that he did die for our sins. He did raise from the dead. And we need to bow our knee to his son and believe. He loves all of us. He loves you. But we need to respond to that love by trusting Christ as our Savior. Then all these things that we're talking about happen. We're forgiven. We're saved. And finally, I just want to close by saying the same thing that I said at the beginning of my message. The most important words you'll hear all day. Let's just close by saying this. These three words. God loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. And it, it just seems a very small thing to say, thank you, because your love is so amazing. But thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're on our side. Thank you that you sent your son to die for us. Thank you that we have forgiveness through faith in Christ. I'm, I'm thankful that you're good. Thank you that because you love us, you're good to us. You want to give us all things graciously. Thank you that, that your love is never ending. It never wavers. It never falters. It's full on all the time. Thank you. Father, I also thank you that through Christ who loves us, we are more than conquerors. We don't need to fear life because you will make even our enemies our friends. The bad things will become blessings because you love us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to really understand, really appreciate really become enamored with this reality that you love us, Father. Those words really change everything. Lord, I pray that those would just rest in a very sweet and heavy way on us this morning. You love us, Father. Thank you. And I pray these things, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen.